Well, welcome everybody, Downtown Harbor Church. If it's your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. I am enjoying the cold weather. I think it's great. Anybody who is from the north or the northeast as I am, we came down here with all these clothes that we can't wear anymore. I got, I, right? I got jackets. I got so many sweatshirts. My wife was like, why do you have these sweatshirts? They're from 15 years ago. I, we're going to throw them away. And, you know, so you throw them on and it's not that cold yet. So you end up just sweating. But, you know, you look great, right? You, just, you look great. Um, we are in this series called False Memory. If it's your first time here, let me explain to you what we've been doing. False memory is a scientific term uh, that speaks about a psychological phenomenon whereby humans remember things that didn't happen. And we've fallen victim to this. How many times are you telling a story that you vividly remember and then someone stops you and goes, that didn't happen at all. And you go, really? I mean, I, just, I, I remember it distinctly that this happened. False memory will play a part often in um, trial proceedings. You'll see people having a false accusations because of false memory. You'll see unreliable witness testimony because of false memory. And one of the areas where false memory strikes is an area that we've been focusing on this couple of weeks. And it's the way that we relate to Scripture. Many of us try to memorize scripture. Maybe you've grown up in the church and when you're in Sunday school, your Sunday school teacher had to memorize scripture and maybe it's John 3, 16. That's a standout verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But outside of that, things get a little cloudy, right? You, like outside of those superstar verses, our memories begin to fail us and we reach and we grasp and we try to put together these theologies that we think we remember and inevitably, we kind of give birth to a, to a bad theology. And so what we've been doing throughout the course of this series is we've been taking a look at verses and phrases and concepts and ideas that we firmly believe that we remember reading in the Bible, that we remember hearing messages about. And in reality, they're just not in there at all. So today, we're taking a look at a phrase that is a little bit different. This phrase was a special request from one of our uh, attenders here a couple months ago. I was having a conversation with her. And I was telling her about this upcoming series. Hey, we're, you know, we're doing this. We're looking at this. And she goes, you know, I got one for you you might want to consider. She, go, she goes, a way back, a while back, I was in a church where a, a pastor gave a sermon on a particular phrase. I'm going to put it up here in a second for you. And she goes, you know, I, I don't know if it was me, but something didn't sit right. I don't know if I'm not remembering it correctly. I don't, I don't know if maybe I didn't understand what he was saying. But, but as I was listening to this message where he was talking about this phrase, it just, something seemed off. And she said, John, can you, can you just tell me, is this phrase in the Bible? And the phrase that she was talking about was, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Now, you've probably all heard this saying at some level. You know, I mean, you'll hear, um, what is it? Tell me who your friends are. I'll tell you who you'll be in five years. This is just common mom and dad advice 101, right? This is just, it's, it, ultimately, it's talking about influence. And, you know, the scripture, while it does kind of talk about this a little bit, she was hearing this and she goes, it just, it seems off. Something's not right, John. And she goes, so is this phrase biblical? The answer is kind of, okay? Kind of is. Kind of is, and it kind of isn't. This exact phrase is not in the scripture. 
The Bible does not say, show me your friends and they'll show you their future. What it does say, and I will show you that in a bit, what it does say is actually very interesting, and, and we're going to land on that for some teaching today. But before we kind of move on, I want to address the tension that she felt, because I think a lot of us might feel that same tension today. So as Christians, we have an archive of, let's call it, teaching. We've got a memory bank of things that we've learned about Jesus, about God, about Christianity. And when we hear new sermons, when we hear new teachings, we take that new teaching and we add it into the archive. We add it into the memory bank. Sometimes it goes in real nice and smooth. Sometimes it bounces right off and we go, there's just something wrong. This is not right. But sometimes we'll hear something where it goes in, but it's just a, there's a little bit of rub. It's just, it's rubbing, it's causing a little bit of tension. And if you find yourself in that situation, you should explore why it's not sitting right, right? So I had a feeling I knew what was going on. I'm aware of how this phrase is kind of taught frequently. And, and, and knowing this woman as a friend of mine, I, I had a feeling I knew what was going on. But instead of just guessing, I reached out to her this week and I said, hey, you know, we're going to be talking about this phrase. Would you mind just letting me know what did you feel when you heard this sermon? How did this strike you? And I've removed her name to protect the innocent, but here's what she said to me. She goes, I felt it was encouraging Christians to only, and that's a key word, only hang out with other Christians and not go out into the world. And, and so what you can see here is you can begin to see her brain working behind the scenes. You can begin to see that she has this database, this memory bank of everything that she had been taught, everything that she thought she knew. And she goes, John, something in this phrase, maybe it was just the way that it was communicated, but something in this phrase seems contradictory to the things that I've been taught. She goes on. I felt like it was encouraging us to only socialize in church activities and to close ourselves off from the rest of heathen society, her words. Just for, clearly, there was some dichotomy that was painted between the world and Christians. Now, I didn't hear this message. I don't know what the person actually preached, but she heard it. She's astute. And this was her takeaway. This is how it landed with her. And what I believe actually happened is that this phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I think it puts a spotlight on a tension that every single one of us will feel in our Christian lives. And that tension lands on this word compassion. Let me kind of play that out for you. So as a Christian, we have been given strict marching orders. We have. Jesus, right before he went back to heaven, he gave the Great Commission. He said that we as his followers are to go out into the world to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The night before he died in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was arrested, he was praying to God the Father, and we have a record of that prayer. And he was praying about you. He literally talked about those who are to come. And he said, God, here's the deal. I, I, I'm getting ready to come back to you tomorrow. I'm not asking you to take my followers out of the world. Right? When they say yes to me, when they become a Jesus follower, when they become a Christian, I'm not asking that you just suck them out of the earth and bring them to heaven. No, 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 no. Rather, he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them. And when you, when you look at Jesus' life, what you see is that he, he didn't just hang out in a church. He didn't just hang out in a synagogue. He didn't just hang out with Jewish people. He didn't just hang out with Christians. He got out there in the world, 
and he ministered to, and he had compassion for people who were tax collectors, which, by the way, aren't just IRS agents. These are fellow Jews who bought the right to tax their fellow Jews, essentially extorting money from these people. They were considered to be the worst of the worst, and Jesus is out there having compassion on them. We read that Jesus ministers to and has compassion for prostitutes. And just as he ministers to and compassions, has compassion for the world, so must we. And so if you ever hear a sermon, if you ever hear some Christian saying that you need to wall yourself off from the world, that you need to shirk your responsibilities to, to ministering to people who need the message of Jesus Christ, you need to call them out on it. Because that's incorrect. But here's where the tension enters the picture. At some point, we need to learn where to draw the line between the people we are ministering to, the people we are called to have compassion on, and the people that we call friends. Because there's a big difference. See, as Christians, we can have non-Christian friends, and you should. As Christians, you can do things outside of the church, and you should, but we need to be careful about who we invite into our life to have influence in what we do. Ultimately, the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, is talking about friendship. Because friendship is a critical aspect of our life. Think back to when you were a child. Your parents or your grandparents or your guardians, for me it was my parents, your parents had a lot to say about who you were friends with. Is that the case? Because they knew. They knew there are just some bad kids out there. And they wanted to steer you away from those bad kids. In fact, because I know some of you, you were those bad kids, okay? And, and our parents didn't want us hanging out with you. And here we are going to church together. Isn't that great? But, <clears throat> like, we all had those kids in our grade. And, and no matter how old you are in this room, I bet right now you could picture faces and names of those kids or those groups that were just always getting into trouble. I had a friend growing up that whenever I went to his house, I never knew if I was going to make it out alive. It was just, you know, it was, it was, it was the Wild West, okay? It just, and, and there was no parental supervision. And I'm not talking about middle school or high school. We'd be there in second grade. And I know things are different now. We'd be there in second grade, not a parent to be found. And they had this greenhouse in the back. I don't know why. House was old. We would throw rocks through the glass. Nobody cared, okay? It was just, but we all had those friends where whenever you went to the house, your parents were like, oh, this is, this is, this could be bad. And sometimes your parents were so concerned about who you were hanging out with that they actually moved towns to get you away from them. Sometimes you, your, friends were, your parents were so concerned about the group of friends you got involved with that, that maybe they actually made you switch schools because they knew something. They knew that friends influence the direction and the quality of your life. And I would be so bold to say that friends can actually determine the direction and the quality of your life. And so your parents would do whatever they could to make sure you're safe and then you're on the right path. And as a parent today, technology's made that even easier. You could spy on your kids all the time, right? You got your phone there. You know exactly where they are with Find My Friends. And with social media, you can just do quality control on your friends anytime you want. You're sitting at the dinner table. You pull up Instagram. Oh, Susie. Looks like that skirt Heather's wearing is a little short. Don't you think? All right, message received. Oh, Phil, I'm just, I don't have my glasses on here, but it looks like your friend Mike has a cigarette in his hand. But we don't listen, right? We don't listen to what our parents have to say 
but we should because they know something. They know that the thing that makes friendships so great is the exact same things that make friendships so dangerous. That when you're with your friends, you drop your guard. When you're with your friends, you feel accepted. And when you feel accepted, you are more open to influence than any other time in your life. And if you're not careful, we can be influenced in the wrong direction. If you think back over your life, think back to some of the biggest mistakes you've ever made. Isn't it true that you didn't make those mistakes with your enemies? You made them with your friends. First time you smoked a cigarette, first time you took a drink of alcohol, wasn't with the kids you hated, it was with the kids that you called friends. And I I just feel like Instagram now exists solely to tag your friends in memes that are talking about all the bad behavior y'all get into because friends get friends in trouble. Scripture has a lot to say about this. And I want to show you the phrase that is the biblical equivalent of show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So Solomon, that Scripture says is the wisest man that ever lived, said this, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Or as my dad would say, if you want to soar like an eagle, don't hang around with turkeys, whatever that means, okay? Walk with the wise and become wise. It's a promise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That's a warning. So let's just land for a moment on the promise. Walk with the wise and become wise. What he's saying here is that wisdom is contagious. And we'll talk about what wisdom is in a second. But wisdom is contagious. And when you associate with and you hang around people that are wise, you, by proximity, will become wise. So what does it mean to be wise? Someone is wise when they understand that all of life is connected. That your decisions don't happen in a vacuum. That that what you do today is going to impact who you are tomorrow and where you are tomorrow and what life is going to look like tomorrow, just as what you did yesterday has an impact on who you are today. So someone who is wise doesn't make decisions based on a whim, doesn't make a decision based on the spur of the moment. Someone who is wise makes a decision based on their future hopes and dreams. And Scripture is very clear. When you associate and surround yourself with people who are wise, it will positively impact the way that you view the world, yourself, your health, your body, your finances, your career, your relationships, your marriage, pretty much everything. But then he follows it up with a warning. And he says this, associate with fools and get in trouble. Now notice, it's not a mirror image of the promise. He doesn't say associate with fools and become foolish. He says associate with fools and get in trouble. Some translations actually say associate with fools and get harmed. It's this idea that you will be impacted by something that they did. That that maybe you could spend your whole life hanging out with fools, whatever that looks like. And maybe miraculously, you're never influenced by them. Maybe miraculously, you never do what they do. Maybe miraculously, you you know, your worldview never shifts the, the way that they see the world. When the drama strikes, and it always does, right? When their life explodes because of some decision that they've made, you, as an innocent bystander, will be hit by the shrapnel. And you've always seen it. Don't you have friends, and you love them, and they're great people, and they're fun to be with, but it's always drama. And you try to avoid it, but like it's just, you just get nailed by the shrapnel of their life. 
I've seen it personally. I've seen good people get mixed up with the wrong people at the wrong time, and the next thing you know, drunk driving accident. Cops show up. They get pulled into it. It's a whole problem. Solomon is saying it's not so much that you do what they do, but you're there when they do it because there's shrapnel that's involved with these unwise decisions. I would just say this. If you find that you're hanging out with people who couldn't care less, maybe they couldn't care less about their life, they don't care about your life. If you find that, that you're hanging out with people that couldn't care less about their marriage, let me tell you something. They don't care about your marriage. They're not, it's very unlikely that they're going to be interested in making sure that you're a better husband and you're a better wife. If you're hanging out with people that couldn't care less about their finances, rack up all kinds of debt, spend money they don't have, let me tell you something. They're not interested in making sure that you make wise decisions with your finances. Students in the room, students watching online, if you find that you were hanging out with kids that couldn't care less about their grades, let me tell you something. You think they're interested in helping you study for that test and making sure that you stay on the straight and narrow with your studies? No, no, no. It's not going to happen. Now, as we have this conversation, I can imagine that there are names and faces coming to your mind right now. I'm thinking of some myself. And if you're a parent in the room, you may be tempted to think about your kids' friends. If you're married, maybe you're thinking about the people your wife's hanging out with. Maybe you're thinking about the people your, your husband's hanging out with. Maybe you're thinking about your sister's friends, your brother's friends. And last week, I know we talked about that life is all about other people. But scratch that for today because I want you to only think about yourself. I want you to zone in on who your friends are, who you let into your life, and who you have influence in theirs. And I just want to do a couple of things. I want to put a couple of red flags on your radar. Based on the wisdom of Solomon, a couple of red flags that you just need to be thinking about as you evaluate future friendships and as you reevaluate the ones that you're currently in. So the first red flag is this. Friends who are moving in the opposite direction, you want your life to be moving. So you have a plan for your life. You have a plan for your marriage, your family, your finances, your career. You are going this way. Your buddy is going this way. That should concern you. But we say things like, yeah, but you know what, John? Look, nice guy. We got a lot of history. He's fun to be around. And, and listen, I don't do what he does. So no harm, no foul. But remember what Solomon said. He said, it's not so much that you do what they do, but you're there when they do it. And when the shrapnel blows, you get hit by it. You know this is really important for new Christians? If you're a new Christian in the room, let me just listen for a second. If you've recently said yes to Jesus Christ, you would consider yourself new and learning and growing. If that's the case, and you are the only Christian in your friend group, that's a problem. At least for now. See, any addict who is in recovery will tell you that if you want to have success in sobriety, if you want to have success in your new life, you need to make a clean break from the old life. And sometimes that means getting rid of those old friends. And I'll just tell you this. The old life, the old you, the true self that we talked about last week, I firmly believe that is as addictive as any drug or any kind of alcohol. And maybe, just maybe, you need to put some space between you 
and the old gang. Not forever, maybe just for now, until your spiritual foundation is in a firmer place. Here's another red flag. If your friend group makes you become a different person, if you find that all of a sudden you are tempted to disregard the values that you always held near and dear, that should concern you. If your parents raised you to believe a certain way, if your grandparents poured into your life, if your church told you to, to, to believe certain things, and all of a sudden you're around a group of friends and, and you just feel like, I, I, I don't need this anymore, that should concern you. If you're around your friends and they are doing things and they are saying things, where on the outside you're going like this, yeah, this is great. On the inside you're going, this is not good. That should concern you. That's a problem. If you find that you are changing who you are to fit in, that should concern you. Now, some of you may have already been warned about this. Maybe a parent came to you. Maybe it was your wife or your husband. Maybe it was even another friend. But they grabbed you and they go, I just got to be honest with you. When you're around them, you're a different person. You know, you, you went out tonight, I stay home. You went out with, with that group of friends, and when you came home, it, I just felt like I was dealing with a different person entirely. My father-in-law um, tells this story about my wife, Jacqueline, and she hates when I talk about her from the stage or even mention that she exists in the world. But I only know like three people, so I have to talk about her. He tells me this story that when she, um, and I got permission to tell this story, when she went into fifth grade, it was a, it was a new school. Okay? Her name is Jacqueline. And we went into a new, a new school. She got a whole new friend group. And her dad noticed something. He said, John, I noticed that this new friend group, for the very first time in her life, didn't refer to her as Jacqueline, but referred to her as Jackie. And nobody ever called her that before. Her family never called her that before. The old friends never called her Jackie. But all of a sudden, she was called Jackie. And it was the strangest thing. With this new name came a very different personality. And I can't use the word that he used to describe her, but it was a raging something, all right? Essentially, he, like Jacqueline was Sandy from Greece and Jackie was Rizzo, okay? Not exactly. I don't think she was smoking and like getting knocked up in fifth grade, but it was like a different person. And if you find that when you hang out with certain people, all of a sudden you become a different people and, 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 and your friends, other friends and your family are calling you out on it, that should concern you. Here's another one. Your friend group puts you in a compromising position. If you are beginning to consider behaviors and actions that were always off limits, that should concern you. Frankly, the fact that these behaviors and activities are even a viable option now in your life, that, can, that should concern you. But what do we say? We go, eh, I'll go with them, but I'm not going to partake. Well, what does that even mean, right? I mean, I'm going to go with them, but I'm not going to do what they're, what, what, what does that even mean? Remember what Solomon said, it's not so much you do what they do, but you're there when they do it, because there are real life repercussions for certain activities and certain behaviors. And I will just tell you this, here's a good test, okay? Here's a good test. If you would hate it, if your parents or your spouse or somebody that you respect, if you would hate it, if they found out that you were there, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. That should concern you. So let's just bring this full circle. Let's go back to this word compassion. 
I don't think anybody would argue with what I've said so far. I think there's a lot of stuff that we already know, but it's good to just talk about it and get it out there because it's the kind of thing that we forget. But you might begin to feel a little bit of that rub, a little bit of that tension that our friend felt when she first heard a message similar to this. See, you may begin to ask yourself the question, well, John, aren't we supposed to be going out into the world? Yes. Okay. But doesn't that necessarily require that we are associating with and getting involved with people who are making unwise decisions? Yes. But, and there's a big but, and this is the key to the whole thing, compassion will never require you to compromise. It just simply won't. The mission that Jesus Christ has given you to go out into the world, to share his message, to go out into the world and to be in the world but not of the world will never require you to make an unwise decision. It just simply won't. But what happens sometimes, many times, we let our heart, and we talked about our heart last week, we let our heart, how shall I say this, deceive us into thinking that we're doing ministry. When in reality, all we're doing is leveraging our misguided compassion to allow us to be involved in relationships, romantic or otherwise, that we just simply have no business being in. So as you consider the mission that Jesus Christ has given us, as you consider who you are ministering to, who you are having compassion on, who you call yourself their friend, who you've invited into your life as a friend, there's a question that I think we all need to be asking ourselves. Who is influencing whom? So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know what to do with your, what you've heard. So the first question I'm going to pose to you is a simple question, but the answer might be life-altering for some of you. First question is this, do your current friends represent who you want to be? When you look at your friend group, when you, when you look at those people that you've invited into your life, do they espouse the values that you admire? If you have children, or if you were to have children, hypothetical, would you want your friends to pour into the life of your children? Would you want your friends to influence and have influence in the life of your child? And if the answer is no, or if there's any kind of a hesitation, that should concern you. Here's another one. Are your friends helping you become a better person? When you're with them, do they challenge you to raise the standard in your life? Do they challenge you to raise the bar? Or do you find that when you're with those people, you lower your standards? you lower the bar. You're doing things that you know you shouldn't do. We make all kinds of excuses. Are they helping you become a better person? How about this one? Are your friends bringing you closer to God or farther away? We had a conversation about whether it's farther or further. It's farther, okay? This is a, you know, we do grammar here at this church too. Farther is a distance. Are they bringing you closer to God or farther away? I'll just say this about friendship. Friendship may not be the most important factor in your spiritual life, but it is absolutely the most overlooked. 
And if you can begin to build a good group of Christian friends, even just supplementary, I'm not saying replace everybody, but if you can begin to grow a good group of Christian friends, fellow believers, that you can pour into their lives, that they can pour into your lives, that they can encourage you, that you can encourage them, that you can lift them up, they can lift you up, you can lean on each other. Let me tell you something. Your life will change. Your faith will flourish. We need to have a great group of friends that we can really get involved with. Now, as I said, I guarantee there are names and faces right now that are coming into your mind. And there are relationships that we've been involved with that you know. You know. You've been going over this in your mind for months, maybe years. They're just, they're nice people. Yeah, they're fun to be with, but you just know you're on a different path. And maybe you've even contemplated, how do I break up with them? So if you're somebody that, after hearing a message like this, or have been contemplating this for some time now, that you feel like the next step for you might be breaking up with this relationship, let me just give you one piece of advice. Don't ghost them. Meaning, don't break off communication with them without giving them zero notice. Because let me tell you something, your decision to do this will impact their life. Trust me, it will. But if you can do it with care, if you can do it with love, if you can do it with grace, while it will be awkward, it could actually be the very thing that puts them on the right path. But let's say they just continue living life as is. Let's say one day the drama strikes one more time. It's a crash and burn. Let me tell you what will happen because I've seen this happen in my own life. They will come find you. They will come find you because they want love. They want support. They want advice. And when they look at you, they see something different because of the decisions that you've made in your life and how you've chosen to live your life. And maybe, just maybe, because of the decisions that you've made to live wisely, it will give you an opportunity to have a conversation with them about what makes you different. Namely, Jesus Christ. Friends are just so important. God has brought them into our lives for a reason. We should cherish them, but we need to be careful about just opening the doors to every single person. Because influence is real. And we just want to be careful about who is influencing whom. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come here today. I want to thank you that that you have protected the wisdom of Solomon for thousands upon thousands of years so that people in 2019 in Fort Lauderdale could talk about it. Because friendship is such a critical aspect of our lives, Lord. And as we as Christians, Lord, there's this tension that we have to walk between ministry and between family and between friends and between compassion and and it gets confusing and sometimes, Lord, our heart leads us in the wrong direction. We want to do the right thing and we don't know. Lord, I pray that today you would help bring clarity into our lives, Lord, because I have to imagine that because I felt it myself, Lord, that that there are relationships that we are involved with that we've just felt off about And God, if you need us to to part ways, I pray that you would give every single one of us the, the strength and the compassion to do it in a way that is honoring to you. And perhaps even will open up 
the way for a conversation about your son. Because ultimately, Lord, your mission for us is to go out into the world and to share the message of your son, Jesus Christ. So today, as we leave this room, I pray that you would help us in that mission. That you would open up avenues to talk about your son and what he's done in our life, Lord. And because of him, we have a plan for our life because we know that you have a plan for our life. Thank you for friends. Thank you for the input and the love of true friendship. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.